And our text about this prophet here in verse number 8 is he was stripped naked and wailing. Prophets go through a lot. And we'll see that tonight, but he, uh, he never lost his compassion for the people he was preaching to. And that's what we see in this little phrase as we start in verse number 8. Therefore, because all this judgment is coming to both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Israel. Therefore, I will wail and howl. I will go stripped and naked. And he wasn't going to the beach. I will make a wailing like the dragons and mourning as the owls. For her wound is incurable. It is come unto Judah. He is coming to the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. Declare ye it not at Gath. Weep ye not at all. In the house of Aphra roll thyself in the dust. Pass ye away, thou inhabitant of Sapphire, having thy shame naked. The inhabitant of Zan came not forth in the morning of Beth Ezel. He shall receive of you his standing. For the inhabitant of Meroth waited carefully for good. But evil came down from the Lord unto the gate of Jerusalem. Well, if we can, we'll keep going through the text, but I think that's enough reading. God is allowing judgment upon his people, and it's because of their sin. But the prophet, though he is pointing out the judgment of God, in verse number 9, we see his great compassion, that he is wailing and howling and going stripped and naked. It's because he's got a burden. He's burdened over their plight. Though they deserved the judgment of God, he was not rejoicing in it. He was saddened by it. Woe be unto us whenever we get a kick out of God just beating up on somebody because they're wicked. You know, God settles scores and he's a just God and he's going to do what's right. But, you know, the book even tells us, you know, if your enemy stumble, don't rejoice. God may see you're happy about that and it'll displease him. So we've got to watch our attitude even in the judgment of God when it comes, though it's just and it's right. Uh, the, the, the prophet's heart was still broken over this situation to the point he's wailing. And of course that's showing his crying, he's mourning, he's crying over them. I think all of us probably could use a, a better dose of compassion. I think that's why most Christians are not involved in getting the gospel around the world is because there's just no compassion there. It's not really that there's a lot of brokenness over people going to hell. And so I think we need to ask God for that. Lord, give me a compassionate heart. Give me a heart like you have because we, we don't get that automatically. It's, you don't wake up in the morning and you're burdened for the plight of people that are under the judgment of God. That's just not how we're made up. We're usually worried about what's going on in our lives, not what's grievous in somebody else's. And this prophet, he is, he's grieved. 
You can hold your finger there. I don't know if I read this last time. You can hold your finger there. And Amos, just back a few pages, Amos chapter 6 talks about God's people who are never grieved for others, whether it was those people in the southern kingdom not being grieved over the people in the northern kingdom, the judgment of God, or if it's us not being grieved over the judgment of God in somebody's life. Amos chapter 6, I think, speaks of that. It's a powerful passage of Scripture where he said in Amos 6 verse 1, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria. And he drops down and he says in verse number 4 that lie upon beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches and eat the lambs out of the flock and the calves out of the midst of the stall. They got all the food. They're just having an easy life, you see. Verse 5, they chant to the sound of the viol and invent to themselves instruments of music. Like they got plenty of, they got music, they got plenty of food, they, they, they have everything, and their, their, their life is pretty good. And the Bible says in verse number 6 that drink wine in bowls. Now, usually when you drink, you, you drink something out of a cup, not out of a bowl. I remember growing up, I, my best friend in high school. He was a big guy, and his brothers were bigger than he was. He's like, he's like six five, two seventy five, and all all the, all of the. I mean, I think the tallest was like six ten or six eleven. Big guys, and I went over to their house and spent the night with my friend. I was in high school and woke up the next morning had had breakfast, and they had cereal. I said cereal, but they big brought big old Tupperware bowls out. I mean, a, a Tupperware bowl, and they'd pour like half a box of cereal. I, I never saw anything. And, and that, that's what hits my mind when somebody's not drinking out of a cup, they're drinking out of a bowl. It, it's just an extreme thing that's way beyond the pale. That, that's their situation. They've got more than heart could ever even dream of having. Verse 6, that anoint themselves with the chief ointments. Watch this. But they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Man, that's powerful. In other words, you're living the right life of Riley, but you just don't, you don't care about somebody else's affliction. Whether they are the other tribes, you see, that deserved that because of their sin. That's not the way this prophet is preaching. He is wailing and mourning over their sin. And even takes it a step further. He says in verse number 8 of Micah chapter 1, Therefore I will wail and howl. I will go stripped and naked. Now, drop down to verse 16. I think I'll, I'll help you with some of this. We'll look at a few other verses about that. What's he talking about? Verse 16, he, he, he implores people to make thee bald. And pull thee for thy delicate children. Enlarge thy baldness as the eagle, for they are gone into captivity from thee. When someone in the Old Testament was so grieved and burdened over someone or mourning, they started doing some extreme things. They made themselves bald. If you remember when... when uh, Back there in the book of Ezra, when God's judgment was upon his people, Ezra chapter 9, verse number 3, talked about it. He plucked his hair off his head because he was so grieved over the sin. You know, I, I've been burdened over people's 
sinned before, but I don't think I've ever shaved my head over it. I don't think I've ever got burdened to the point of changing the way I even look. Because it's really, it's an act of humility. Let me just show you that. Hold your finger right there. Go to Job chapter 1. We were just there not long ago. And Job, when he lost all those children and all that grief came in his life, this is what they did in the Old Testament. They went to the extreme. Verse number 20 of Job chapter 1, when all the news came, Job 1 verse 20, Then Job arose and rent his mantle. Okay, so that, that equates with stripping oneself. He, he stripped his mantle, stripped the coat off of himself. And shaved his head, you see that? Made himself bald fell down on the ground, upon the ground and worshipped and said, what's the next word? Naked. naked came out of my mother's womb and naked shall. In other words, that happened so many times in the Old Testament, they, they would rend their clothes because they were so burdened or they would shave their head over a burden or a commitment that they were making in the Old Testament Scripture. I'm just saying the level of their commitment to the compassion or the heart that they're having from other people is quite extreme. Many times, I don't think we, we could even miss a meal, let alone... Now, God's not telling you to strip off your clothes and shave your head. I hope that's not what you're getting out of this message. Some of you won't have to. Anyway. But the point is how deeply it's affecting. You know, the average man thinks probably quite a lot about his hair. I mean, they'll pay a lot of money. They'll even pay people to go in there, amen, and take hairs from other parts of their body and weave them into their forehead. I'm not against it. I'm just saying, but for somebody to voluntarily just start pulling out all their hair or shaving, making themselves bald, because they're so overwhelmed with someone else's burden, with burden of the delicate children that are suffering, the burden of those that are under the judgment of God, that the way they look just doesn't really matter. This prophet, that, now there are deg- he stripped himself. Now there are degrees of that. I'll show you another prophet that God told to do that. Go to Isaiah chapter 20. Isaiah chapter 20. When you are so burdened over someone, you start rending your clothes, you're pretty burdened over them. And I would say this, you know what what I've seen, my problem is many times, and I think you could relate to that, sometimes we get so burdened a little late We get burdened when we see the effects or the results instead of getting burdened before the catastrophe. 
You need to be burdened for your home and your marriage and your children and your country and your church way before you can see the effects of disaster. In Isaiah chapter 20, the Bible says in verse number 1, Isaiah 20 verse 1, remember their contemporaries here, Isaiah's. He, the Bible says, At the same time spake the Lord by Isaiah the son of Amos, saying, Go and loose the sackcloth from off thy loins, and put off thy shoe from thy foot. And he did so, walking naked and barefoot. You, you know, you know, you just ought to stop and say, Lord, thank you for making my commandments easy. God just tells us we need to pray. God tells us we need to give. God tells us we need to witness. Aren't you glad he didn't tell you that you had to go walk naked and barefoot in front of people for three and a half years? Verse number three, the Lord said, Like as my servant Isaiah hath walked naked and barefoot three years for a sign and wander upon Egypt and upon Ethiopia, so shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptians' prisoners and the Ethiopians' captives, young and old, naked and barefoot, even with their buttocks uncovered to the shame of Egypt. And they shall be afraid and ashamed. You know what? When you look in the Bible and you always see nakedness, it's always a picture of shame. Certainly not one of glory. It's one of shame. Hold your finger right here because I'm coming right back to Isaiah. And go back, back to Micah. I'll show you that right there, what, what, where we, the text we were at. Micah chapter 1. Micah chapter 1, he says down in verse number 11. Pass ye away, thou inhabitant of Saphir, having thy shame naked. You see that? In other words... Naked is exposing something. So he says, thy shame is naked. Your shame is exposed. The shame is what's naked. In other words, shame is not something that ever should be shown in front of people. You don't ever want to look ashamed in front of people. He said, your shame is naked. You know what? That's a picture If somebody is glorying in their nakedness, they are perverted. Because the nakedness is something that's not supposed to be seen by anybody else. Just like the shame of somebody is something that's not supposed to be seen by anybody else. Isn't that what happened in the Garden of Eden? They they didn't want want God to see their nakedness. I think that's, that's almost hilarious in Genesis. Here's a man and his wife and God. Well, I I don't think God is surprised. I mean, God's seen them in their birthday suit every day of their life. Is that not right? They're man and wife. If they want to walk around the garden naked all day, ain't nobody there. The animals don't care. Are are you following me? But when sin came in their life, and when knowledge came into their life, and when they lost their innocence, they knew 
that nakedness was not something that was supposed to be seen even before God and they started covering it up. I, I just I find that passage so enigmatic about the human heart. It's amazing. And so now you come to 2024. People aren't hiding anything. They want you to see their nakedness. Hear the prophet. Now, now, when he says Isaiah went naked and barefoot, I've got to clarify that because when I say that word, in, in most of our brains, we use the word naked with one definition, and that's just totally naked. Now, now I want to help you. Can I help you with something right here? That's not the way God uses that word. Watch this. There are degrees of nakedness. And the sooner you learn that, the better understanding you'll have about what God says about modesty and nakedness. When he says Isaiah walked naked and barefoot, that doesn't mean that he did not have a stitch of clothing on at all for three years. Let me show you another verse. Look at John chapter 21. There's a, I'm, I'm coming back to Isaiah, so don't, don't leave Isaiah. We're going to get another degree of that nakedness in just a moment. I never forget preaching out west one time, and I made, I made some people real mad. And I didn't mean to, but they kept saying, Preacher, we, we want more of God. It, it preach, just preach us all the Bible. So, man, about the third night, man, we were in it. And I started preaching about people, people going out to the beach in their underwear. Oh, they got angry. Because out west, nobody has standards. Nobody has standards. Well, that's in a lot of places, not just out west. But When I said that, this woman got so mad. She went to the pastor and she said, that preacher said that I was out there on the beach in my underwear. And that's just not true. And I thought, lady... There are some people that have better underwear than what you are wearing at the beach. That people are naked on the beach. It's, it's nakedness. Watch, I'll show it to you. In John chapter 21, the Bible says in verse uh, number 6, and he said it, this is, the Lord after resurrection, calling out to Simon Peter, who's fishing. Verse 6, And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked. Now wait a minute. You've got to help your understanding. Peter is not fishing in his birthday suit. But he is naked to a degree. Because naked does not mean you have absolutely no clothes on. That is not God's definition of nakedness. Nakedness is exposing parts of your body that God never intended you to expose. Isaiah 47. So again, 
Now, why am I even bringing this up? Well, because you're an independent Baptist, and that's what independent Baptists do. No, I'm preaching about a prophet who went, who stripped himself and wailed. And I'm telling you, Micah was not out there in his birthday suit for the world to look at him. That, that, but he was in a degree, he was naked. He stripped himself of the clothes that he should have been wearing to his own shame. Watch Isaiah 47. Isaiah 47 verse 2. Take the millstones and grind meal. Uncover thy locks. What's that next phrase say? Four words. Make bare the leg. Y'all know what that, you know what the leg is, don't you? Uncover the what? You know where your thigh is, don't you? Pass over the rivers, thy, what's it say? What's it say? Nakedness shall be uncovered, yea, thy shame shall be seen. God says when you expose your thighs down your legs that you're exposing nakedness that nobody else has a right to look at. Do you know that our lost society 50 years ago wouldn't tolerate that? People that are not even saved. They don't even go to church. Go back and pull out a picture from 1860 and look how people dressed. People that didn't even go to church didn't know God. Didn't read the Bible. They knew there was, were degrees of nakedness. So, you know, you can, you can call, people can call us hypocrites for not wanting people to, to, to go naked. But, but guys, there, there are consequences to that. That's, that's shameful. That of, and you know what happens with nakedness? When you start showing partial nakedness, you're not satisfied until you show more nakedness. So I just want you to see from the Bible there are degrees of that. The Bible said the same thing about Saul when he went down to prophesy. He stripped himself of his coat and he, he walked naked and barefoot. But, but he wasn't completely naked. But there are degrees. When you start showing parts of your body God never intended you to show, you are revealing nakedness. Now, we're not Amish people. I'm sure nobody is going to lust after my hand. Now, preacher, you're going to cover up your lips to be like the Muslims and cover up our faces. God never used that as a definition of showing your nakedness. But he did use the leg and the thigh. And the other places that we could define, you only have to be like in third grade to understand those places would be nakedness. Is that fair enough? Without us having to have a discussion about it. It's like these weirdos in our society that, you know, there's a movement in our society by these feminists that say, well, if men cannot wear their shirts, then... You know what's wrong with that? The people are insane. They're insane. That, 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 you know that's a real thing, right? But you know what I say as a pastor? I said... I'm not going to walk around with my shirt off. 
Even if I had a six pack and a tan. What would I be trying to show that off for? When I get up in the morning, I don't walk out of the house without my shirt. I know to put on a shirt. Why? Why do I automatically put on a shirt? Because I know that's part of being naked. Didn't know we'd go there in the book of Micah, did you? So when the God says, but I'm trying to show you. Now this prophet I'm sure he's a holy man. He understands that this is shameful. But he is so overwhelmed with the burden that that what he is wearing or not wearing is so insignificant in, in comparison to the judgment of God that is falling on people. And whether he's got a head full of hair or he's bald, there are people that are being destroyed because of sin and he is wailing And strips himself in that nakedness form and showing how serious he is about it. When we get to verse number 9 in the last verse of this paragraph, he says in verse number 9, this is why he's so upset. Watch verse 9. For her wound is incurable. Do you see that phrase? You know, when somebody has something that's incurable, man, you know, we, we've had that experience in our church when somebody got the news or a missionary got the news that, hey, they've, they've got an incurable, incurable disease. In other words, it doesn't matter what you do from this. This wound is not going to be cured. And that's why he's so overwhelmed and burdened. Because the wound cannot be cured. He can't find any way that they're going to get any help. And they're not. God is finished with the northern tribes. The judgment's coming. He's not going to stop it. Assyria is going to take him into captivity. And there is nothing that Isaiah can do. There is nothing that Micah can do. God says in his judgment, I've had enough. You're going to be judged. And there's no cure for it. Hold your finger there. Go to Jeremiah chapter 30. Incurable. You know, when you see somebody that's got something that you know that uh, what's going to pass in their life, there's no remedy for it. Now, we live in a day where people believe that, that, you know, there's always a remedy. Now, I'll say this. There's a remedy for sin, but many times there's not a remedy for the effects of sin. Or the judgment that is going to come because of sin. Do you understand? In other words, if a guy burns out his liver from being a drunk, don't expect God to grow him another liver. If an axe murderer in prison bows his knee and calls on the Lord Jesus Christ and gets saved, the blood of Jesus Christ is going to cleanse him from all his sin. Is that not right? But his judgment is incurable. Because he got to pay for that. Do 
There are some things you cannot change because the course of your life has made them something that you can't, you can't turn around. And that's why this prophet is weeping. So look at Jeremiah 30. I'll read to you again. Jeremiah 30, verse number 12. And that's what makes it so important for us to make right decisions. Because yes, you can, I've heard people say, well, you know, you can get forgiveness quicker than you can get permission. That is, I hate that statement. Don't say that around me. It makes me sick. That shows extreme rebellion in somebody. That means I'm going to do what I want to, and then I'll, I'll just deal with the consequences later. Maybe you can't deal with the consequences later, you see? And we've got this, people have promoted this idea in liberal Christianity that, you know, it don't matter how you live. You know, God's a loving God. He'll forgive you and forget about it, and he will forgive you. But you may have something incurable in your body that'll never go away. Well, what about the homosexual, the guy that got AIDS and he got saved? Well, glory be to God. That doesn't mean that the judgment is going to be cured. That doesn't mean the effects of sin is going to go away. Jeremiah chapter 30. That's why we've got to be so careful about what we do. I really think people approach God that way. Well, I'll just, I don't ask permission. I'll just ask for forgiveness and it'll be all right. Mm -hmm. You might not want to take that viewpoint with God. Jeremiah chapter 30. The Bible said in verse 12, For thus saith the Lord, Thy bruise is incurable, and thy wound is grievous. See that? Verse 15. Why criest thou for thine affliction? Thy sorrow is incurable. Watch it. For the multitude of thine iniquity, because thy sins were increased, I have done these things unto thee. God bringing judgment in their life. Now, now again, what I want, he said your wound is incurable. Now, think about that just for a minute. The wound is incurable. Not necessarily the disease. A wound is the effect of the problem. In Jeremiah chapter 8, he said in the last verse, Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? God can always cleanse us of our disease of sin but many times though the disease is cured the wound is still there do you know the lord jesus christ in heaven has wounds now he has joy he's jesus at the right hand of the father he's got plenty of joy he makes intercession for us but when you see him you know what you're going to see you're going to see wounds that's what he said in Zechariah. When they see him, Israel's going to say, what are these wounds? In, in, in that what, what Jesus said to Thomas, go ahead and reach in. Put, put it into this wound. In other words, there is still something there from what happened. That don't mean he's not... Joyous? That doesn't mean he didn't get the victory. He got the victory over death, hell, the grave, Satan, everything else. But he's still got those wounds. Now, God can cure us of our diseases, but I'm telling you what those diseases will do. They'll put some wounds on you. You know, I don't cry about it, but I, I got places. I got places. Yeah, know what happened right there. 
There's a place right there. Yeah, I know what happened right there. You know, that's the way our lives are. Our lives many times has, have wounds that will not go away. That doesn't mean that God will not meet the need of our heart and help us. But I'm telling you, the effects of what we've done just doesn't go away. And that's where God got with the nation of Israel. He said, look, you guys have been so involved with idolatry, you're going into captivity. Now, that doesn't mean when they get in captivity they can't find mercy and they can't find forgiveness, but they are going into captivity. There is no cure for their captivity. There can be a cure for their heart, but there's no cure for their captivity. And this prophet knows that. And that's why he's weeping so. And that's why he's burdened so. Do you know a young person that loses their innocence can get forgiven, but they can't get rid of the wound that it caused? They can get forgiveness. They can be happy again. They can have a future. But I'm telling you, many times, the wounds of the judgment of God over our sin, we have to live with those effects. You say, well, man, that's, tell me something better than that. Well, look at Second uh, Chronicles chapter 36. I've got to hurry up. My wife's keeping nursery at the mission's house. <laughs> so get two hands here. Get Second Chronicles 36 and Proverbs 6. Would you do that? I wish some way God would get equal time with this because I am not minimizing the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. I'm not doing that. But I've lived long enough to see people having to live with the judgment that came in their life because of the decisions and the sins that they have done, even though God is forgiving. And then they want God to take away all the wound. He can take away the disease, but you may have to live with that little scar right there. I got one on my ankle. Well, they had to cut it open, tie it back together. And every time the weather changes. Well, I don't go through life saying, oh, my ankle. But I can't ever get rid of what happened, the effects of that. I can learn to live with it, all right. Not bother me. But Second Chronicles chapter 36, watch this. Second Chronicles 36, he says in verse 16. The Bible says in Second Chronicles 36, 16, but they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets. Watch it. Until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. Do you see that? He sent them prophets. He sent them messengers. He gave them everything given. And they still rejected his word. And so there's no remedy for the captive. They can get forgiven. I mean, Daniel and those three boys are pretty big shot in light in captivity, are they not? But they were still eunuchs. You know who I blame that on? Their parents. And those boys could have grown up saying, 
I hate God and why did God let this happen to me? And it happened because of the sin of the parents and that wound could not be remedied, but you can find God in the middle of your wounds. Proverbs 6, 15. Talks about this naughty, this wicked man and all this stuff that's in his heart. And he said in verse 15, Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. Suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. One more verse and we will be done. Proverbs 29. I'm just telling you there are some things don't have a remedy for. I'm not talking about your sin. I'm not talking about forgiveness. I'm talking about a remedy for the judgment of God because you didn't listen to God and now you have to live with certain things. And that makes all of us wail. Because it didn't have to be that way. Proverbs 29 verse 1. And every Young person, especially, but every person ought to have this in their arsenal of verses that they've memorized. He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without what? No remedy. God says this, if you harden your neck and you don't listen to me and you don't listen to the preaching and you don't listen to the word of God, there's no help for you. There's no cure. You know God can't cure somebody that won't listen. That doesn't mean he's not a great physician. We, we, we keyed up on, on, on batter deck, amen, in the book of Matthew about Jesus being the great physician. He healed all these diseases. He raised the dead. He touched the blinded eyes. I mean, he had the power to be that he raised the dead. He cast out devils. He's the great physician. But there were people Jesus Christ could not help. they wouldn't listen so there was no cure for them Mm, I don't want to live that way there is a balm in Gilead there is a physician there but don't sin and deny the voice of God to the point to where he brings judgment in your life that you got to walk around with a wound for the rest of your life and you know what he's really taking this these northern tribes into captivity to try to teach these southern tribes, don't go that way. Look at all their wounds. Don't follow them. But you know what they did? They followed them right into captivity too. Sad. Sad.